Welcome to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. This episode's guest is Christine Walker. Christine Walker is a United States Navy and Desert Storm veteran. Uh, she is also the editor-in-chief of At Ease Magazine. She joins us for the program today to talk about her service and also uh, At Ease Magazine, how long it's been around, all of the things that you can find within it. It's an incredible publication. Uh, I'm going to put the link in the chat so that you can subscribe to At Ease Magazine. Uh, I hope that you do. I hope that you check it out. Um, I really enjoyed talking with Christine. She was a phenomenal guest. Uh, and please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And you can always email me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org with any questions or thoughts, maybe even suggestions of future episodes. I'm happy to always get those. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the show. Uh, Christine Walker, I'm so excited to have you join the Scuttlebutt today. Uh, you're editor-in-chief of Addie's Magazine. Excited to get into that, into your publishing background, but also you're a Navy veteran, so I'd like yes. to talk about that. And But please introduce yourself. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to meet you guys and, and get to know you. And, you know, I've never heard of Veterans Breakfast Club before, so I'm super excited to know you know you guys and what you guys are doing. And uh, we have a lot of affinity for storytelling uh, in common. Um, so basically, I am Christine Walker. I'm the owner of Double Dog Publishing and Addie's Veterans Magazine. Mm -hmm. And it is a magazine 100% written by vets for vets. And that's uh, very unusual right now. Um, there's a lot of veteran magazines. There's a lot of military magazines, but so many of them really are written to the civilian. Mm -hmm. We are not. We are written to the veteran. And so we are um, honest, um, often unfiltered. Yeah. Uh, but we are always real. So, and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful coffee table magazine in print. Um, and then we also have an e-magazine flipbook that we have been providing for free, although 2023, that will change. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, great. Let's get to the magazine in a minute, but uh, let's first dive in. Um, easy softball question to start. Why Navy? Okay. <clears throat> I come up from a very long line of military service in my family. Mm. I have 14 members um, from my great grandfather to my brother's my stepbrother, my cousin. Um, Does me. that date back to World War One? Yes. Or, yeah. Yes. Excellent. My great my great grandfather was in World War One. Mm -hmm. um, my both my grandfathers were my grandfather on my my maternal grandfather was um, military police in the army. Mm -hmm. My paternal uh, grandfather was a cook mm -hmm. in the army, uh, and he was in the European theater. My uh, other grandfather who was an MP was stationed at Port Carson mm -hmm. and there's a very long story to that um, that we never knew about so at some point I'm probably doing a story on that yeah. um, but and then of course my great aunt she served as a flight nurse during World War II and the Korean War wow. and she is the only living female to receive the Distinguished Flying Cross for her service incredible in fact you know just a quick little blurb that's her captain yeah. speed upon him and she was um she was in a plane crash right as they took off they were doing a hop from japan to korea to drop off supplies pick up guys wounded um 
and all that. And the plane crashed literally 300 yards off the runway. And she survived. She was able to get out and help save 27 men, get them into life rafts. And she had a very big voice when she needed it. I do not have that. <laughs> and she was able to um, whistle and get the attention of a, a fishing trawler. Mm -hmm. and ended up saving the lives of not only herself but 27 men wow so yeah so her story is in our inaugural edition mm -hmm. and at some point we'll do another print but and somebody uh, and and you can go back as a as a subscriber or somebody who can you can purchase the original or um yes we actually do have extra copies of the inaugural edition a lot has changed with the magazine um but anyway so there was her my stepfather was Navy. My father was Air Force. My uncle was Navy. My brother's a Marine. Mm -hmm. My stepbrother was Navy. Oh, <laughs> like, the only Marine. Was he, was he given a little ribbing for joining Marines? No, actually, because um, my great uncle was also a Marine. He was KIA in Iwo Jima mm -hmm. on March okay. 3rd. Wow. So, um, so, yeah, I'm very, as you can imagine. So joining the military for me, you know, especially with my Anjanita's influence. And it was just like a no brainer. It was just like, well, of course I'm going to join the military. <laughs> it wasn't I? like missed. It wasn't like everybody still talked about it around the, the dinner table. Like, you know, there was, you grew up in that environment of service. Yeah. I mean, it was just no big deal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and of course, when I went in, uh, Desert Shield was mm -hmm. just starting. Um, I went in December and on January 17th, 1991, Desert Storm started, and that literally shaved a week off of my boot camp. And, you know, it was like, I can't say what I was going to say, um, <laughs> very military terms. But needless to say, it was, you know, full steam ahead. And that's, uh, and then I went to A school after that, and then my duty station after that. Was military service what you expected it to be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it wasn't was, surprising. It was just like, okay, we're in it now. By that time, my brother had been a Marine for six years. Okay. Wait, six years? Yes, five, five years. And so I had been going back and forth to Pendleton to visit him during the summer, mm -hmm. during my junior high and high school days. And so by the time I joined, um, he had already been in the Marine Corps for five or six years. And I was like, okay, why not? Why not join? So... At that time, were they accepting women in Army and Marine Corps? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so this was 1990, 1991. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we were very well into um, active duty service for, for women. Um, that actually occurred in 1948 when Eisenhower mm -hmm. signed the bill um, that women could go full-time active duty military. So you chose Navy, uh, other than the military family, but Navy specifically, why didn't you go Army, Marine Corps, Air Force? Well, one, I I, I wasn't a very athletic person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was thin, you know, at the time, not that way anymore. <laughs> but at the time, I was very thin. I was very active, but I was more of like a swimmer. I was mm -hmm. more of a, a dancer. I really wasn't like, don't get, don't ask me to run back then because I looked ridiculous and um so I thought well there's a lot of running literally this is my reasoning for not joining the Marine Corps <laughs> there's a lot of running <laughs> <laughs> so and I'm like well I'm a good swimmer and then when I was talking to the recruiters army really wasn't an issue I just didn't have any affinity mm -hmm. my brother was a marine 
So there was the whole Navy Marine Corps, um, you know, thing going on there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a squid and a jarhead, why not? Um, my stepdad was Navy. And then, of course, I went in as a hospital corpsman. So I already had my mm -hmm. rates before I even signed the paperwork. Yeah. Um, and I knew that I would be getting a Marine Corps base, most likely. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's what happened. So I went in um, as a corpsman, went to A school, went through hospital corpsman school, and then was immediately granted um, brother-sister duty. My brother was stationed at New River Air Station. Mm -hmm. He was a helo mechanic at the time. And I was stationed at on um, blue side of Camp Lachine, hospital side. How did you enter the, the military that way with that rank already or rating? Well, it, it was a rate. Rate. So, Sorry, rate. yeah. So it was just a guaranteed rate. It's just because my ASVAD scores, they were pretty high. Okay. So um, it was kind of a no-brainer. And Corman, they always need Corman. Yeah. Corman. And so, yeah. So that was... I went in with that rate and went through boot camp and then uh, ended up getting brother sister duty with my brother. And literally 30 days after I arrived, he was off on deployment. And did you ever get deployed? Nine months. No, I was not. Um, at that time, women, this was pre-1994. Okay. So a little bit of um, modern military history that typically there were some women who were deployed um as you know, at that time, but um, mostly women were not in combat zones. Mm -hmm. They were in, I mean, and if they were in combat zones, it was really in like logistics and, you know, services kind of thing. They were really, were on the front line. Right. Um, and that didn't change till 1994. Okay. So that, yeah, I was pre, pre uh, women in combat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how long did you stay in? You know, I went in as a reservist okay. and then Desert Storm happened, went to A school, went active duty. And then um, about 19, well, 92, that's when they really started cutting back um, the military um, members. And so 1992, they were doing forced retirements and they got me because I went in as reserve. Mm -hmm. So they said, oh, okay, you went in as a reserve. We don't need you to be active duty anymore. Have a nice life. And I'm Interesting. like, no, yeah. I, you know, I wanted to complete my, I wanted to do four years and then probably re up. And, you know, in my brain, I was like going to have a career in the military. Mm -hmm. And how, how did that, how did that change you? How did that affect you? Um, it was a bummer. Mm -hmm. I was I was very upset. But you know, when the when Uncle Sam says he doesn't need you anymore, you know, and they're yeah. and they're cutting, you know, they're just cutting everybody. And it wasn't just me. I mean, they were giving <clears throat> telling people who had a year to retire, okay, you're done. And they're like, uh, what? So yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a lot going on around 1992, 93. Was there a point after that where you could have re-enlisted? Um, there is, but I really, I was, I was pretty jaded. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I didn't want to go back in and have them tell me, no, you're done now again. Yeah. 
So I just kind of literally became kind of a hippie mm -hmm. and just kind of went wherever the wind took me. I mean, not that I wasn't doing things, don't get me wrong. I was, you know, I went through floral design school and graduated from there and, you know, did I use it? No, well, yes, once. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, then I went to the Texas Peace Officer Academy in 96 and, and graduated there and then immediately went into private security in Southern California for a pharmaceutical mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it was a lot of twists and turns and a lot of um, just. Trying doing, to find your purpose. Yeah, doing what I wanted to do and yeah. not really care. You know, I mean, I had a job, my rent was paid, really, was yeah. there anything more? And of right. course, back then there were no transition services for yeah. military. Well, it's even hard, it's still hard to find them, but they're, <laughs> they're better ones now, right. but yeah. <laughs> But back then, I went to logistics. I got my last check. I lived off base at the time, so I got mm -hmm. pretty in for my move. I got my DD-214, mm -hmm. um, kind of a kick in the butt, and have a nice life. Yeah. That was it. There was no transition. And, you know, I didn't know anything about veteran service organizations, nothing. Mm -hmm. To me, like American Legion, DFW, um, DFW, VFW, um, those things were for like old guys, you know, yeah, it really wasn't much for us. So yeah, it was a, it was a different time. So I just kind of went where the tide took me. <laughs> did your, did your family having all of that military service and, and that being so ingrained in, in your family, when, when they, when uncle Sam was like, see, ya, how did your family react to that? Were they angry for you? Or they, they were just like, this oh, they is were what angry. you wanted. They were angry for me. Yeah. They were not angry at me because right. up until that point, I had had a really good service record. Yeah. Um, I was just, I was angry. And then I got yeah. very bitter for a very long time. Um, you know, because this is not what I wanted. I didn't want to yeah. have to, you know, figure out my life. I wanted mm -hmm. to just serve and do what I did. Right. And I was very happy at Lejeune, I was very happy serving in the mm -hmm. military. And I was not happy at all. And it was only because I went in as a reservist. Right. And um, I find this I find this interesting because where you're at now, uh, so passionate about veteran stories, at, mm -hmm. at some point you had to resolve that. You had to sort of get yeah. over that anger or forgive it to be able to say, I, I wanna commit my life to this. Uh, how did you come about that? That happened about, I wanna say about seven years ago. Okay, so um, it, it took a while. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, for and then for a long time, you know, I would be like in Veterans Day, or I would I would stand up and they would, you know, and say, "Hey, we'd like to honor vets," and you know, and and I would get confronted after the fact with, you know, these older men, and I know they were well-meaning, but you know, it was just like always on the defensive about serving always on the defensive and I don't know I don't know what their issues were I don't know but I do know that I after a while I got sick and tired of trying to defend myself mm -hmm. so for 25 years I pretended not to be a veteran wow and it probably had to do with being the female thing yeah. because you know men throw on a cap it says veteran the name of their ship the name of their unit and you know the the war era they're in, mm -hmm. and everything's hunky dory. 
Right. So thank you for your service. We're so grateful for you. Women get out, you know, and especially as you age, middle age, you know, things happen. You don't look like a veteran anymore. Your hair is long. Everybody assumes that, you know, if you ask for a veteran discount, it's for your husband, not for you. Right. And so, you know, for, so there was a lot of stuff. I just, you know, I didn't get bitter at that. I don't blame civilians for that. I don't blame anybody for that. It's just how it is. But um, I'm not the only one who experiences that. True. And, and I know that there's a big movement now to like wear a shirt that says, this is what a veteran looks like. I've seen right. those around and it's right. like, or, not what you, you know, expect. Right, right. You know, and it's like, you know, kind of a Rosie to the Riveter kind of thing. It's like, yep. I am the vet, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of branding and stuff going on, which is awesome. Um, but it didn't exist when I was going through it. And, you know, it really caused me to dive deep. You know, I took my sea bag, which was full of my uniforms and mm -hmm. everything. And I threw it in the back of my closet and literally out of sight, out of mind. It was like, you know, pretending I never served. The problem was, is I was, everything about me was still military. Yeah. How I walk, how I talk, um, what I, how I eat, you know, how I get ready. Yeah. You know, if I have to spend more than 20 minutes getting ready, it's too much. <laughs> right. Seriously. Yeah. Even to this day, mm -hmm. you know, if I can't get ready in, you know, 10 minutes, 12, you know, 20 minutes, it's too much. Yeah. Um, I still eat fast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like, it's just a lot of it so ingrained because I was 18 years old, mm -hmm. 18, 19 years old when I went through boot camp. It was very, you know, and it was what I wanted my life to be. Right. And I took it very seriously, but it didn't work out for me, but it's okay. Cause you know, what I'm doing now is kind of making up for it. And because of all that I've been through now, I'm kind of a mama bear um you know kind of the, like a mentor and a yeah. right yeah I'm kind of one of those it's like girl I've been through it <laughs> I know it and uh you know you, we're here for you your aunt had had been through it before you did did she offer you any advice during those difficult sort of years um you know she it was so different with her mm. because she actually got out um she got out and then she went back in active full-time active duty service and during the Korean war, but after the um, plane crash, she never flew again. Mm -hmm. And she literally just went to Georgia. She was an instructor for literally a few months mm -hmm. and then got married and put that life behind her. Wow. And um, yeah. So, and, and you know, what's funny is I never even knew this story until I was like researching for the magazine and actually found it on YouTube. And you were like, wait a second, <laughs> you did so, what? So, well, she had passed away oh, okay. um, in before. Yeah. And so I, you know, I'd seen her just a few years before, mm -hmm. but I never knew this story. My grandmother, you know, she's the sister of my grandma. My grandmother never told me the story. Yeah. My dad never told me the story. My brother knew it. He never told me the story. Interesting. I'm like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> so anyway, I found it. I was able to get in touch with my cousin, mm -hmm. um, her daughter, Renee. And so when we were starting to do, I'm like, you know what? The first cover is going to be my aunt. Mm -hmm. 
what I did is I took a lot of previously written stuff and I went through it literally line by line with my cousin who said, no, that's not right. That is right. That isn't right. This is right. And so it's probably the most complete, perfect work of her story there is. Um, so at the, what, do you remember the day that you were like, I can let all this go and I want to commit this new sort of passion and direction of my life to veteran stories and create uh, a tomb, you know, Addie's Magazine um, right. for everyone? Well, you know, seven years ago, it was really about being brought into the fold. Mm -hmm. And there were, um, there was a pretty established um, veteran organization. And I went ahead and joined. Um, and the, the gentlemen who were in charge of it at that time were wonderful, very inclusive, very kind. Um, but not everybody at that um, at the organization was inclusive or kind. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of ignored them and just kind of hung out with the people who were generous and, and decent. And, and I really kind of, um, there was kind of a rebirth of that camaraderie. Uh, you know, yeah. I have always loved, don't get me wrong, just because I pretended not to be a veteran didn't mean I didn't love my veteran brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't feel like there was a place for me. Yeah. And so um, as more and more of a place became available and I started connecting with more and more vets, it really just kind of snowballed into something that I was very, very proud of and started, um, you know, reestablishing, you know, who I was as a veteran. So, mm -hmm. so. Wow. So how did At Ease come about? Where was the uh, the nugget that started that idea? So, so in 2017, um, I actually started working. I was involved with this veteran service organization, but I was working for a local paper, mm -hmm. <clears throat> great little paper. It was like 150 years old. It was great. The, the editor at the time was a real piece of work, kind of a curmudgeon, not very... Um, friendly, people friendly at all. Um, but he was really good at what he did. Yeah. And I and I really fell in love with publishing. And, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to write for the paper because I was just front office help. But um, I did do some ad sales and I did do a lot of designing, which is kind of my background. So, yeah. Um, and I learned a lot from him and how to, how to like literally take a publication from concept to finish fairly quickly yeah um after working there i started a little publishing company with a friend of mine mm -hmm. and um it was just for like a little community rag that we were doing and it was great and we did that for probably a year and a half but over time i just was like is this it like i'm not making a lot of money um i'm not able to really support myself doing this yeah. But I love publishing, but it's like, I don't want, you know, this isn't my community. I didn't live there. It wasn't a part of who I was. And so um, I had to have some major surgery and I was in the hospital. It was right in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, so there were no visitors allowed. And here in Dallas at the time, um, the Blue Angels 
were going around hospitals and, do, and doing flybys and formation. Yeah. And so I'd had my surgery and I just happened to be in the hospital at the time they were flying around doing formations. Mm -hmm. And so from my window, I literally saw the Blue Angels in formation. And, you know, it was just like, it was at that moment, I'm like, you know what? I love publishing. I love my veterans. Mm -hmm. Let's just marry this create a veterans magazine. Yeah. And so, um, so I have the Blue Angels to thank for that. <laughs> inspired inspiring moment yeah um, totally but i got out and so i went to my business partners and i said listen i love you guys to death but i'm not satisfied doing this i want to start my own publishing company i'm going to start a veterans magazine and they're like oh well you know we understand we love you if you ever want to come back let us know but we're going to support you so you know i did want to burn bridges totally and um so i went to started my own company and at first it was just going to be like a little county magazine it was just going to be you know a little 40 page county veterans magazine every quarter just to kind of the goings on but because it was in the middle of the pandemic and it was a brand new publishing company and a brand new magazine a lot of businesses really didn't want to take a chance putting mm -hmm. skin in the game meaning money so we could actually produce the magazine right so then i thought well we'll go regional and, you know, still a lot of companies didn't want to put skin in the game. Mm -hmm. I wasn't known. I didn't have the data, the numbers, the analytics. Um, so it wasn't, for them, it wasn't about helping me build something. It was more like, what am I going to get out of it? Yeah. Which is fine. They're business owners. And, and that's completely 100% their, um, their right. Yeah. But I started getting emails from veterans across the country and, you know, DMs from people on Facebook and- Direct and messages for those my audience members who may not know what a DM is. That sounds very and, military using yes, an acronym, but- it's, it's not, but so, <laughs> you know, and I thought, and I thought, well, you know, let me think about it. So I took November and December, I kind of put everything on hold in 2020 and i did a lot of number crunching to be honest because you know this is a business yeah and i have to be able to um not only provide what i say i'm going to provide as far as printed magazines but i had to you know i have to run the business we have a little bit of overhead um even though i'm able to keep it very low and so I crunched numbers and knew that this was, I was in this for the long haul. We weren't going to make any money the first couple of years. Yeah. I knew that. Right. Um, I knew that, but I knew that we could make enough to produce a magazine. Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly what we did. And so our very first issue went national. I redesigned our website to be national, um, redesigned our, our, our business plan to be more of a hybrid to mm -hmm. start with advertising funding, and then eventually we'll go into subscriber-based. So eventually we'll get enough subscribers to support the magazine. Um, and was that difficult to, to make that adjustment? And, and you know, how hard was it to find even advertisers to, to, to jump onto a magazine that, that is brand new? It was brutal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, every, every issue has been brutal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because the bigger that we get, 
the more people want to see bigger numbers. And yeah. it's like, you have to understand, we grew organically. We have yet to spend a penny on any marketing for ourselves. Wow. All the marketing that I've done has been absolutely organic by building relationships with other veterans and veteran organizations. Um, and that's how it grew. And, and so now we went from 40 pages, our inaugural edition, to our next issue coming out this winter will be 84 pages. That's incredible. And the printer we have is top notch, mm -hmm. you know, because for us, it's not just about, um, you know, the numbers and the data. It's, it's about the stories. It's about providing a product that's excellent. Yeah. And we don't go halfway. We never have. Mm -hmm. Not since, since our inaugural edition, everything we've done has been top notch and with excellence. And, you know, and like yes, a core, a core value of the magazine. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, we may be a little un more unfiltered than most publications, mm -hmm. but we're not writing it to people who are easily offended. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're writing it to vets. <laughs> so. Well, that, that's part of it is that you said right. that's by veterans for veterans. Right. So how did you get the network of veterans to work on the magazine? Who did you, you know reach what? Out? That is the most incredible part of this whole story. They came to me. So you wrote the whole first one yourself, or how did that? How did uh, no, I had I had people helping chime in, yeah. Um, but but a lot of people just came to me and said, "I want to help. I want to write." I'm like, "Okay, write." And yeah. then over time, it has just snowballed. And to this day, I mean, you know, yeah, I'd still do a lot of writing, mm -hmm. but you know, um, I've got some staff writers. I've got some feature writers, I've got contributing writers. So there's three tiers of writers. Yeah. Myself, um, one of my staff writers has graciously stepped in. He is a Vietnam vet, phenomenal writer. Mm -hmm. He won't say that, but I will. And um, has stepped in to be my um, temporary assistant editor. So, mm -hmm. um, and so now we are literally 100% written by vets for vets. That's great. Um, how did you uh, like the the inaugural issue is a difficult thing because it's right. like how do we kick this off? How do we jump out of the gate and establish ourselves as as you know this quality product with right. good storytelling, um, you know readability, uh, creativity? There's so right. many things that you're trying to do with that first issue. Can you right. lead me through sort of like how that put got put together? Good lord. You know, our inaugural issue literally took four months to put together, mm, mm -hmm. um, but it did come out in March of 2021. Now, a lot has changed. Um, you know, some of the things I did, I'm like, why did I do that? That looks awful. But <laughs> as far as designing, but, um, you know, immediately we got, you know, I had a assistant editor at the time and mm -hmm. she had a master's in writing. So she was a lot of help with editing and and helping to write content for us. Um, but I, I just made a lot of connections. And so we, you know, went through and and put it together. And I have a background in graphic design. And that's was my role in this other publishing company was creative director. Yeah. So putting a magazine together wasn't an issue. Um, but it's just getting all the stories and all the, you know, getting all those put together and 
you know, and it, it just, it just came together. I mean, I would imagine one of the tougher things, especially as you gain in popularity, is all the stories that keep coming in. You know, how do you select them? How do you say that one's right for a main feature? That one is sort of a side story. This one, maybe we just say, no, we can't do this one. So honestly, I've never said no. Hmm. Never. That's great. I've had, I've had people come in, now don't get me wrong. There are people who send me their stories and I've never said no, but don't think for one second that there isn't a lot of work that goes in to sometimes occasionally fixing stories that maybe need a little bit more help than- right. And when you say fixing a story, that's not adding fictional elements. Is it fixing it just to like give it more clarity? Yeah, grammatically, you know, make sure that it's something that someone has a pleasure reading. Right. right. And I reserve the right to retitle anything. That's uh-huh. my superpower. Um, <laughs> people in, um, and I've gotten to the point where, yeah, it's like okay, a five hundred, for example, like a five hundred word article mm-hmm. submitted. You know, we go through. We don't edit it. We don't change the veteran's voice. Now, sometimes I'll move the continuity paragraphs around so it has a much better readability and continuity. Right. But at the end of the day, a five hundred word article actually turns into about a five minute read. Okay. You know, and so we really try not to have other than our cover story and maybe occasionally another one. We really try not to have any stories that are more than 30 minute reads. I mean, 20 minute reads. I'm sorry. Well, still, that's uh, that's a really interesting. I had not thought of that in terms of magazine publishing, that the stories you want in there shouldn't, you know, ha- should have a certain amount of time to, it takes you to read them. Right. So so when you have an 80 page magazine, you're able to fit a lot of stories in there that that aren't going to go over 20 minutes some will be five some will be between that right. five and 20 right mm-hmm. some will be less than you know three some will be you know 10 some will be 15 but um this issue coming up it's going to be 84 pages we have 36 stories so, wow and how often does the magazine come out quarterly so okay. um it comes out in march June, September, and December. So you're talking at the end of the year, having uh, what roughly three uh, hundred some pages of stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's- yeah, and it's you know, and what's really cool too is our e magazine. It really is. Um, you know, we provided it free mm-hmm. for the first two years. Um, but now it's getting to the point where it's like, yeah, we're going to have to start charging for it. Um, just because our expenses are, are going up with the actual flip book. Um, so we, we, we're going to have to start charging in 23, but all, everything that's been free thus far will remain free. That's good. So, Uh, and I was going to go ahead. I'm sorry. No, all the issues that have come before will remain free. It'll just be the new ones coming in 2023. And I was going to ask about that sort of age of technology. You know, a lot of people are like, I'm going to subscribe to good housekeeping, but I don't want the physical copy. I want to read it on my Kindle. And this is what you're talking about. Like you can get a digital download of Addie's magazine. Well, it's a, it's a link. Okay. And so it'll, it'll go through and it's just a digital flip book. They can flip, but you know, flip literally flip shape pages. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's great. And then I go in 
and all the advertisers, all the stories, we utilize QR codes a lot in our right. magazine to make it interactive. Right. So like songs, um, videos, websites, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And when we publish, I go in and I link every single one of those QR codes, every single URL in the magazine. And that way, when they're in the flipbook, all they have to do is click on that link and it'll open in a new tab on their desktop. And I, I should say that Good Housekeeping is not a sponsor of the BBC. That kind no. of just popped into my head. <laughs> right. So, you know, 2020, okay, pandemic, um, people are at home, people are reading, but, you know, a, a, a lot of newspapers are shutting down. Magazines right. are having harder times getting subscribers. Was that right. part of your business plan in this of like, do I really want to start a magazine? Is that the way at route I want to go? Was that, you know, at any point during the process, did you think this, this is going to be a hard thing to sell? Oh, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew yeah. it was going to be going uphill nonstop. Yeah. Because um, a lot of people are like, well, I just want digital. And I'm like, well, yeah, but, you know, I get it. A lot of people want digital and that's great. Mm -hmm. But for me, I much prefer to have a physical newspaper. Yeah. I want a physical magazine. Right. And the reason I do is because I am on the freaking screen all day long. To me, a reading is supposed to be a pleasure. Yep. It's not supposed to be, you know, yeah, I can take in a ton of information all day long, but I don't read for pleasure when I'm on the on the computer, when I'm on screen. Yeah. You know, I, you. I, I read for, you know, I don't really read at all. I read snippets. I, I scan through articles. Um, I'm like, okay, I shut it down. I go back to work, right. you know, and when you're, when you work nonstop on a screen, Sometimes it's just nice to step back and go old school yep. and pick up a magazine, especially a really heavy, heavy, like this is almost a pound. Awesome. Because yeah. it's all gloss. Um, yep. And it is heavy. And so it feels good. It's got that yeah. tangible. Hype, well, you know. and, and there's something you cannot get on screen and that is the smell of ink. Totally. And, you know, I'm, again, I'm a Gen X. I'm old school. I yep. want smell of ink. I like the smell of newspaper ink. Um, so for me, I, I was like, I know I'm not the only one out there who likes tangible physical products. Right. And, you know, my, my challenge was how do I make it affordable and yet not, you know, keep us underwater indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, with the pandemic and then coming into 2021 with supply chain issues, I'm like, dang it, I have no choice but to raise prices. Yeah. And it's stuck. But, yeah. but surprisingly, people would assume that like the majority of our, our subscribers, print subscribers are like Vietnam era mm -hmm. or Gen X. Nope. What is the, what is the demographic? 70% of our print subscribers are post 9-11 vets. Wow. Mm -hmm. I would not have guessed that number. 20% are Vietnam mm -hmm. or older. And then the little bitty one, 10% Gen Xers. Mm -hmm. But that actually stands to reason. It really follows in line with the amount of service members in post, you know, post 9-11 war eras versus Vietnam versus Gen X. I mean, obviously, Gen X were the smallest. 
Right. So it actually, it follows that line pretty well. Um, the same demographics go for our e-magazine. It's the same. 70% of our readers are post 9-11. Um, obviously this is definitely geared. It's really geared for all. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we do gear it, you know, the edginess of it, we do gear it to post 9-11. And adults. Like and, and, and Gen Xers, because we're not, <laughs> we're not super fussy kind of, we're not a super fussy kind of generation. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and, it, but it's geared to all. We have military history. We have DD214 and beyond. Mm -hmm. We have financial. We have fitness. We have mental health. We face issues that face the veteran community head on. Um, I will not say what I'm, I'm trying to be very nice. Um, I'm very salty. So it's taking a lot of self-control. <laughs> but I appreciate that for my younger audience here yes, on the podcast. But, um, but at the end of the day, you know, we do, we have something for everybody. I even do a crossword every issue. I was going to say, but do you do coloring for the Marines? Um, no, we do not provide clients to Marines. Um, and actually, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to, I had to slip in a Marine okay. joke. I love my Marines, but we, we do not provide crayons. Uh, <laughs> however, we do have quite a few Marine writers. Yeah. They do not write in crayon, surprisingly. So, um, so that's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. We always have to give some ribbing to some of the branches, but, um, oh, yeah, yeah. But no, this is that answers my question because my next question was going to be how much do you cover in one magazine? It's not just veteran stories. You're right. you're covering topical issues. You're covering mm -hmm. news highlights. Um, right. You know issues that they may find you know DD two fourteen related. Right. Um, now you mentioned a couple times the cost, so I, I hope my audience wouldn't think like, well, geez, what's this going to cost? But like, it, I, I checked your website. There's some subscriber levels. There's different ways they can engage. How do they do that? Okay, so. <clears throat> We haven't set a price for our e-magazine for 2023. I'm still going back and forth on that. Mm -hmm. However, our print magazine, you can either pay monthly, and that's $7 a month mm -hmm. for 12 months, and you get four 84-page copy, 84-page uh, magazines, right. which I think is a pretty dang good deal. Mm -hmm. um, and or it's 68 annually, which I know it seems like a lot, but at the end of the day, you know, it, unfortunately, our costs went up. And postage went way up. Yeah. Um, postage is insane right now. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully they're done with that. So it's about a sixteen dollars savings uh, if you if you pay right. annually. <clears throat> right. Okay, that's not too bad. And you know, and then of course, you know, you can always pre-order mm -hmm. um, as a, a copy for um, the issue coming out. You can check it out, see if you like it. Um, that's 18, um, an issue. And, you know, at the end of the day, you guys are, um, check it out. The print is really, really beautiful. We have lots of really amazing reviews from people mm -hmm. who do subscribe. So, um, when you subscribe, if you just keep scrolling down, you'll see all the little reviews that are populated underneath. We'll have the link to the website right. here in the description. And um, uh, can you share it for the, for the audience, veteran audiences, like, I do want to check this out, but like, you know, give me a, can you give me a highlight reel, maybe a smattering of, of some of your favorite stories over the last couple of years? Okay. So obviously my aunt's story is one of my, Which sounds incredible. one of my favorites, yeah. um, um, only because it's very near and dear to my heart. 
Um, but you know, uh, they all are becoming near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, I did a story on Veteran Produce. It's an organization here in Texas, and they actually build hydroponic um, gardens in greenhouses. Um, and the and the purpose of this is to help supply um, veterans with food, fresh mm -hmm. organic food. And so that's what they do. And it's a really amazing organization. Um, it's ran by a Navy chief. So mm -hmm. chief, he's a great guy. And um, veteran produce. And, you know, my left brain really, really got into it because, you know, as much as I'm an artist with a graphic design and stuff and a writing, I really love scientific and math stuff too. So mm -hmm. it was really awesome for me to write that article and share Um we did a story for Operation Combat Bike Saver. They're amazing, amazing. Um, <clears throat> they actually started an organization for like mechanical therapy. They literally bring vets in and help them build motorcycles. Wow. <clears throat> and that's one of the things, not to interrupt you, sorry, but like yeah. it's one of the things that I've realized over the course of the life of the podcast, the Scuttlebutt podcast, is I keep coming across different ways for veterans to have different, different therapies. Mm -hmm. um, and everything from like stellate ganglion block to uh, I just had a, a wonderful conversation with Timothy Kim. That's an upcoming episode uh, about grappling martial arts and how that right. is a, a therapy. Um, we recently did our, our first episode of season seven was about psychedelics and that right. being a therapy. Um, right. But yeah, going in and building a motorcycle, like going right. out and you know riding waves. It's like you know, right. there's so many different ways that I found that are incredible for veterans to engage with. That is part of their passion, but can also help them deal with their. Or with well, right, their and we've also done a lot of equine therapy. We'll be mm -hmm. doing more. There's a lot of equine therapies mm -hmm. um, organizations out there, and they're all doing it differently, but they're all making a huge impact. One of the standards to be featured in our magazine as a nonprofit organization is one: I don't care how big you are, or how small you are you have to be actual boots on the ground making a difference in the lives of veterans. Mm -hmm. You know, BSOs that have membership and that kind of thing, that's all well and good. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to highlight, you know, for example, an American Legion post that all, all they have to offer vets is a bar to sit around and drown their sorrows. Sorry, it's just never going to happen. Right. Um, I want to know what are you actually doing in the lives of veterans to make it better yeah. for them. Um, I'm also working with a lot of uh, research organizations. In fact, I just connected with one that um, they're gonna start doing an article as they continue their study. It's called Operation Deep Guide. And what they're finding is um, the VA, and, and some of your listeners may know this, some may not, um, we're very much into like facts. Mm -hmm. um, and so the VA, only 35% of 22 million veterans within the United States actually have benefits. 65% mm. do not. Wow. And so when the VA does their annual suicide rate study and that kind of thing, we did an article in summer and I went to go check my staff writer's um, data because I, wa I wanted to make sure, are we using the latest data, whatever. And I went and read the study that he used, which was 2021. Mm -hmm. 
and read the small print, they were using 2019 data. Mm. And right. to me, that really was a red flag to the point where I actually put a disclaimer in the article saying, oh, by the way, these numbers are actually coming from 2019, not right. 2021. Right. Um, so I was connected to an organization that's actually taking a different route um, with on the request of the DOD, mm -hmm. um, but also they're going by state. So they're not, they're not tracking the data by patient, they're tracking it by state. And what they have found is that 22 a day isn't 22 a day. It's probably closer to 44 to 50 a day. It's so much higher. But realizing that the VA is only using 35%. Yeah. They've only got 35% of, of the veteran population in the United States. Mm -hmm. There's no way they can track what they don't have access to. Right. So, so we're working with them to start bringing this to light in the veteran community, yeah. which is one of my passions. We need to save the lives. You know, any, any vet that feels like they need to take their life is unacceptable to me. Mm -hmm. And, and what I'm finding in the veteran community, just through this magazine and everything else we're doing is veterans, businesses, organizations, individuals, we have had enough. And we are at the point where we're like, you know what? The VA is broken. Some are good. A lot are not. And it, it you know, what we'll, we'll do is we'll just take care of our own. We'll take care of our own. And so right. that's exactly what we're doing. And some, and you guys do it too, through Veteran Breakfast Club. You guys are telling stories. You're letting people get it out. There's cathartic, there's, that's cathartic healing that happens when you tell your veteran story. And that's one thing we also embrace is veterans who write down their stories. It's cathartic, it's healing. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that, um, that's why I never say no. Mm-hmm. Because every veteran, no, no matter how benign your story is, because mine's pretty benign. I'm not a combat vet, you know, but even I have a story to tell. Right. And it's like a tapestry. Each one of us is a thread. And when you turn it over, it creates this whole tapestry that's military history. We're all tied into military history. And even with the, whether it's dramatic or whether it's small, everybody has a voice every veteran has a voice and that is our purpose and that is what we are going to stick to i can think of no better better note to end on that <laughs> that was beautifully said um and i have not thought of that analogy or heard it quite said so well of this idea of uh, this tapestry and and the, everybody being a part of the military history that's 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 incredible um Christine, I, I want to thank you for coming on to the Scuttlebutt and sharing your story and, and sharing everything about At Ease. Uh, I do hope our listeners uh, subscribe to you in the magazine. Um, Me too. Yeah. Subscribe. Yeah. Grow. Yeah, definitely. Um, nationwide. Um, yeah. So hopefully, you know, check out the description, uh, people listening. Um, and uh, please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. We hope to see you on a future episode of The Scuttlebutt. And if you want to find out more about Addie's Magazine, you can contact me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. I'm happy to pass them on to you, Christine, if you like. Um, yeah, and, and any final words before we, before we end here? 
you know, it's not just subscribing. Yes, we love to subscribe, but if you own a business, if you want to get national coverage specifically to the veteran community, mm-hmm. give me a give me a ring, email me, whatever. And then, but more importantly, if you want to share your story, please email me. Like I said, I've never said no. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, I, you may have to wait an issue or two before it gets in just because of, you know, the amount of content we have. But at the end of the day, you will be published. I will never say no. Excellent. Uh, well, Christine, thank you again for coming on to the Scuttlebutt. I hope to, to have you on again uh, yes. in the future uh, as AdEase continues to grow. I'm excited to see uh, where it goes. Um, and thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank both of our sponsors, the first being DND Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. They began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s, but they've grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. DND accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any type of job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D. That's dandautosalvage.com. Uh, thank you so much to D&D. Uh, they've been a sponsor for quite some time, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, the second being Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and to getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health. So they want people to quit and they have classes and nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line, which is the easiest number to remember ever, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. Finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all of what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org, or you can watch our recent episode with Tobacco-Free Adagio Health on the Scuttlebutt, uh, where they talk about a lot of the programs that they offer for those who are looking to quit. Thank you to both of our sponsors for their continued support of the Scuttlebutt podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks.